Look, I'm going to keep it as casual as we do it on the other end with the space yeah, as well. I mean, this, yeah. we're not going to be more more professional, are we? <laughs> it's unlikely. Um, I think we are. There you go. It's live. Yeah, we're live. It is live. All right, yes. we're live. Yeah. Okay, so here we are. Um, Excellent. So, <clears throat> welcome everybody. I know there's probably literally nobody so far, but that's okay. Um, I think. As we get started with this, it's probably worth just talking a little bit about what we're doing, why we're doing it. Um, so to give anyone who is either watching this for the first time or listening to it for the first time uh, a bit of a, a recap, for the last three and a half to four months, we've been doing um, a series of bi-weekly Twitter spaces um, where we've been jumping on uh, uh, an audio Twitter space and talking about Swift packages, basically. So we talk um, about what's going on with the package index project. We talk, um, sometimes we have a kind of trivia quiz based on package information. Uh, Sven has been quizzing me, but actually today I have uh, a, a quiz for Sven. So it's uh, the tables are turned today. Oh, God, um, this is a stressful episode, this one. <laughs> uh, it's not as big a quiz as you normally do for me. Um, and then uh, the other thing that we always do is um, we always recommend some packages from the community. So we talk about some packages that we've seen coming into the package index for the last, uh, over the last two weeks because we, uh, we do this every couple of weeks. Um, so that's what we've been doing so far. And we had a conversation um, early, just earlier this week, actually. It's all come together fairly quickly. Um, about whether we wanted to make it a little bit more serious. So we've had some feedback after our Twitter spaces that people would like to um, listen to this as a podcast. Um, and we agreed with that because it's it's the kind of thing that obviously a live, a live discussion is very time dependent and a lot of people are working at this time or they're busy or whatever. And yes, you can you can look back at the Twitter spaces and play back a replay, but it's not it's not as convenient as listening to it in whatever your podcast client of choice is. Um, and so that was one of the things that we wanted to do. But we also didn't want to lose the live. You, you know, to give Twitter some credit, um, which is not getting a lot of credit in the last week or so. But to give Twitter some credit. Um, <laughs> I actually really like what they did in terms of the concept of Twitter Spaces. I think being able to jump on and immediately get a live audience of people to um, to listen to some some words that you're saying is actually quite a cool idea. And I think the UI could use a little bit of work, but I thought actually the concept was pretty solid. Um, and we didn't want to lose that live uh, broadcast element of it. So we found a podcasting um, platform that allows us to live stream it and also put it out as a podcast. Uh, and so that's what it is. Um, I don't know whether you've got anything be, to add to that. Well, just maybe to to understand whether the, the live aspect was actually interesting to people. And we, we did have a fair few people who, who dialed in, um, I guess because it was easy to do on on Twitter. And I, I'm curious if we'd lose these people if if they're still interested in that, or if which might also be possible if it's actually more interesting for for us, you know, as the as the presenters of of seeing that aspect of it. It might actually be that it's you know it's sort of more helpful for us to have a. I mean, the audience is virtual either way, but it's it's sort of like visually a bit less less virtual if that makes sense if if you see these little avatars in in the twitter client um you feel like you're talking to people a bit more that way um but it, it might in the end just be something that's that's really more for the presenters that you know of interest than, than it is for the audience and, and that would be interesting to hear if there's actually um you know how how the, this will turn out this little experiment yeah well i can tell you that so far we have uh, one viewer, but that that viewer has uh, stayed with us for the entirety of the stream so far. So whoever you are, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> well, I'm, I hate to disappoint you that one oh, viewer. Is you, me. <laughs> is <it> you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's but 
yes, hi to you, Dave. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is literally devastating. Um, what do they say? They say, like, dance like nobody's watching, podcast like nobody's listening, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're off to a great start, that's for sure. <laughs> off to a, a perfect start. So I guess the, the uh, you know, and, and that's what we should probably do is... Uh, Um, am I not coming Oops, through? I think you, I'm, do you hear? Yeah, back now. I think I had a had a big, uh, quick, uh, short glitch there. Okay. Um, yes. What I was going to say is we should we should really take this as more of a podcast. I think the live streaming is interesting, and I'm also curious as to whether that is something people actually want. Um, and I'm also curious to see if people watch it or listen to it on YouTube. Uh, after the fact, because as soon as we finish live streaming this, this will be a video that's available on uh, YouTube. Uh, but I think we should treat it like we're recording a podcast more than a live stream. Yeah, that's probably a, a good assumption. So uh, tell us what's been happening with the package index for the last uh, couple of weeks, Sam. Well, we had lots of under the hood changes that are really hard to talk about in a podcast so i mean there's been activity and discussions and stuff little issues that we fixed here and there but i think there hasn't been anything visible at least that i can think about probably this what we're doing right now is is the most um outward facing change that we've had um changing the the format of swift package indexing and the other thing that sort of coincides with that more or less is that we're also available on Mastodon now. So we have accounts set up there for our two Twitter accounts, which is um, which are called Swift Package Index and Swift Package Updates, and they're on the mas.to server. Um, we'll add links to to that to the show notes, so you can you can follow us there. And um, yeah, it would be interesting to see. Um, the activities over there, but I think, at least according to my notes, that's that's all there is um, since the last time. So, uh, with the Mastodon stuff, we haven't yet started streaming the package updates to those uh, that package updates account, have we? Oh yes, we have. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we have. Okay, I. I did, so news uh, news for you as well, Dave. <laughs> I saw the pull request, but I wasn't sure whether it was actually like on, like live. Um, no, and... what I did so so there was two ways of doing it. Uh, one is to oh, actually you did set the up an app. Thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, the actually posting to the API would have the advantage that we can use the full five hundred character limit. But you know, that's probably you know it's rare that a package will have a description long enough to actually blow past the two eighty characters on Twitter. What we're doing right now is we're using a Moa dot party, which is a commonly used service to mirror Twitter and Mastodon back and forth. Uh, so people who are perhaps interested in doing this or in looking at Mastodon themselves, this is a, a service where you connect with your Twitter um, handle and your Mastodon handle, and then you can configure um, bi-directional syncing of the account. So you can either tweet or you can post on Mastodon and it'll you know transfer those across and you can even switch and then all sorts of stuff so that's a nice service if you have something that you're populating on on one side or the other and want mirrored on the other side and you know as as we are currently looking at both services that's kind of nice with very little effort you can get this set up um yeah and it looks identical pretty much so that's nice the only other thing that i had to uh, to mention today was again behind the scenes uh, stuff real kind of in the weeds but uh, the the slight issues that we're having with uh, with our build system right now. So um, we have been running um, our five point seven Swift builds on a Ventura Beta machine up until last week, um, and that machine had some issues. It was it had a, some stability. It, it actually didn't have any stability issues in day to day running. But every time you interacted with it, it was extremely unstable. And there was also a, a problem where we couldn't switch users um, because it would hang as you were trying to switch users. And so where I put that down to it being uh, a beta. And uh, we decided um, Max Stadium's announced support for their 
um, for the release version of Ventura, and so we asked them to uh, put a fresh copy of the operating system on uh, this machine, uh, and uh, we set it up and got it processing using the release version of Ventura. And since then, it has been extremely unstable and crashes every few hours, maybe four or five hours, which is not great. Um, um, so, yeah, we've been trying to um, figure out either whether this is a, a package that we're trying to compile that is causing a problem with the machine, which we've definitely had situations like that before. Um, and if it turns out not to be a package, then what... I've either done while setting it up that was wrong, or you know what else? What else? What else? This problem is, but there's definitely um, some stability issues with our build system right now, which is which we try uh, we we try our hardest not to uh, not to have um, stability issues like that, but we have one right now. Yeah, that Mac is is having a hard time. It is. Let's, yeah. um, let's hope we can figure that out. I, I desperately hope we can because at the moment we're having to reboot it every uh, hard re like power cycle reboot it every uh, four or five hours, which is uh, obviously not ideal. Yeah. So that's um, uh, and then you know the, the remainder of my time has been has been sorting out this podcast because it's taken a little bit of work to get everything up and running and figure out how we're going to do it. And uh, we actually don't have a full podcast feed yet, but as soon as this episode is uh, recorded, that will be my next uh, task. Um, so I would imagine on Monday we'll have a podcast feed with this uh, episode in it. Yeah. And um, we will make a bit of an effort to backpopulate the previous episodes as, as far as poss possible. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe there'll be more than one episode in there. We shall so, see. I think it's time, uh, quiz time. Oh, right. See, we, what we lost in the transition was the soundboard, which we never used, but... Uh. <laughs> um, Riverside, which is the, the service we're using, has a soundboard, and so I could pretend like there was a, um, uh, an audience that was <laughs> laughing right now at <laughs> all these wonderful jokes. Um, but... Um, but probably best that we don't use that very much. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's quiz time. We don't have a jingle for quiz time, but it is quiz time. Um, so the the data that this quiz is based on today is uh, the data from a um, feature which um, w we've had a couple of people work over the, the summer on from the Swift mentorship uh, program. Uh, and one of those people is um, uh, a guy called Javier, who I've been working with very closely. And what he's been doing, the feature is not quite live yet, but the data collection has been live for a couple of weeks now. Um, and um, what we've been gathering is automatically uh, extracting author information out of Git history um, uh, for each package on the package index. Uh, and so we have some interesting author data. Um, so, of all the packages in our package index, which package has the most contributors? <laughs> it's, it's hard to answer these questions, right? Well, I can't even think of, I mean, the only, I mean, probably a package that's been around for a long, ah, Fastlane. Fastlane is indeed correct. Um, <laughs> 1,440 contributors to Fastlane, which is a remarkable number, uh, absolutely yeah. remarkable number. It just it shows what an amazing project that has been for yeah. so many years of, uh, of, um, uh, of the kind of, Objective C and Swift uh, ecosystem. Um, it's uh, an amazing project, um, and one thousand four hundred and forty contributors. Any guesses on the second? No. no. Well, I mean, I'm going to just say Alarm on Fire. That's another long-running package I can think of. But I think what I'd be interested in the gap between the first and the second because I think Fastlane is probably quite unique in in the number yes. of contributors because of the structure. You know, I think. It's 
it's probably more approachable to extend by its nature. I'm not sure if all the modules that it has mm-hmm. count fall under the umbrella project, but that might be part of it. And I remember seeing it show up in other queries that I've run, like releases. Oh, I think it also yeah. had a number of um, you know, lead maintainers that probably brought different sets of people with them or stuff like that. It's probably are all things that make that package quite unique. Yeah. Uh, so Alamo Fire is not number two. Um, it is in the top 10, but it's at number nine. Um, uh-huh. uh, but you're right that Fastlane is um, leagues ahead of uh, second place. So 1,440 for Fastlane, and the, the number two spot is 611, so less than half as many uh, contributors. Um, I was quite surprised that what was in the number two spot, it was um, uh, Flat Buffers by Google. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. What an enormous number of contributors for that project. Um, in yeah. place three with 398 was RX Swift. Um, and mm-hmm. then a couple of ones that you definitely would probably expect to be in there, 383 people have contributed to the Swift Package Manager. Um, and oh, right. um, yeah. 364 to Swift Lint. Um, uh, but then you've got a lot of, you know, the rest of the top 10 is things like SD Web Image, which is, again, a package that's been around for a long time, Reactive Swift, uh, Moya, Alamo Fire. Um, one that I didn't expect in the top 10 was uh, the Facebook SDK with 244 oh, okay. uh, contributors. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just <laughs> I wonder how much of that is with Google and Facebook is just pure employee attrition. <laughs> it could, could, could be, right? Yeah. <laughs> it could be, yeah. Um, and Vapor just didn't make it into the top 10, uh, but it's at spot number 11. Right, nice. So, if if there are if we if we get two more contributors to Vapor, then it will knock Facebook off the uh, off the top ten. <laughs> oh, I go. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a couple of others in the in the top, you know, fifty or something like that that were interesting. Sparkle has two hundred and twelve. Um, Lottie from uh, Airbnb has two hundred and one contributors. Lots of packages with you know two hundred contributors is. An enormous number. Yeah, that's, that's uh, of, amazing. Of people working on a project, yeah. Um, so next question, how many packages have only one contributor, one person in their Git history? Ooh, like percentage-wise? As in there is only one Git uh, um, committer. No, I mean as in, as in percent of, of overall packages. Oh, um, we could oh. do it as a percent. I can, I can work a percent out. Well, uh, well I've probably more than fifty percent. I think I would, I would say, oh, that's probably going to drop off fast. The number, I'm going to say, sixty uh, percent. Uh, I am just calculating the percentage because uh, I didn't quite know how many packages we had. Uh, Thirty-three thousand. 33% of packages oh, wow, have okay. only one contributor, yeah. Um, now, okay. there is there is a little caveat here, which is it's very easy in, oh, when you start right. a new project yeah. to accidentally get two contributors. Yeah, you have because your own you have different have... email addresses in exactly. your Git setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> so it is quite easy... Yeah, it's quite easy for that to happen. So I think, I think there's probably an element of that happening uh, here. Um, so um, one or yeah. two, uh, how, how, how many is that? How, what percentage well, is that? Well, I do have the percentage of uh, three or less. Yeah. Any guesses? Well, I'm going to say 60% there then. So there you go. That's that. That's you, you're there with it. There, sixty six percent of packages. Well, I, in I'm the going index. to claim that point. Thank you. <laughs> you're going to claim that as a victory. Yes, <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> um, and um, and then there are fifty eight packages with more than a hundred contributors. Which you know, it's just a. I think that I was quite surprised how high that was. That that is amazing. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, stuff like VS Code. You. You know, you can see how that happens, um, especially if it's front-end heavy. And 
um, but you know, a library like like Flapper for the the Google thing is is like a that's a pure. It sounds yeah. like um, I'm not sure what flat buffers is, but I imagine it's something like um, a protocol buffers. A a is that like a codable kind of thing? Um, it sounds sure. sounds quite low level. So I don't think you know you you just drive by and, and make a, a contribution to that yes. as you would yeah, perhaps exactly. in uh, tweaking a color on something. Um, <laughs> I'm exaggerating, of course, but <laughs> you know. Um, interesting so that's the that's the quiz the return of the quiz i can't promise that there'll be another quiz next week because um because we we uh we had called an end to that but i thought given that we had this author data i thought it was worth uh worth just asking you a couple of questions there on on the subject of that author feature the reason we're holding it back from the live site for now is partly because um, even though the feature itself is completed, and in fact, if you look on the staging site, so we have a, a staging site at staging.swiftpackageindex.com, you'll be able to see author information coming from that feature on that site. Um, but the reason we're not pushing it live yet is because because it is based on Git history, and Git history is not necessarily always the most accurate. Like, it's accurate technically, but it's, it, it sometimes does not represent who actually wrote a package <laughs> um we are putting a override in so that package authors will be able to specify via the package manifest um a string of text that should replace whatever git says basically so we're going to have it completely up to the package author if they would like to describe it in in the opposite way that git history describes it that's fine by us um, we want to give the flexibility to the package author because that's ultimately who wrote the package and who who gets to make that decision. Um, uh, but also it can be used to correct little things like, for example, some packages have a lot of commits by CI bots in them and almost certainly the package authors would want to remove those CI bots. Uh, and maybe a package um, was created by somebody 10 years ago that had a lot of commits but then for the last eight years somebody else has been maintaining it and the raw number of git commits might put those two people in an order where the the, the current package author might be more comfortable with them flipped and that's the kind of thing that we want to give people the flexibility to do yeah yeah that sounds like a good tandem thing because you know that's the obvious um follow-up that's it. And, and what I don't want to do is put the feature live and then immediately have people saying, well, I don't agree with this. I, or, or if they do say that, I want to be able to have an answer that says, that's no problem at all. Here's how to fix that. Just add empty commits by the right accounts to... <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, shall we move on? to um oh uh, a slight update on the um live streaming situation that we now have two uh viewers um so and, and uh, i don't think you've opened up another browser window have you Sven? no <laughs> okay that's good <laughs> no no i um, um, i held back so hello to whoever you are. Um, we do have a chat on the uh, on the YouTube site. If you want to say something, I do have that chat window uh, open, so we would see it. Um, but uh, no need to if you don't want to. Um, we will carry on. And what we should do now is actually switch to uh, our package recommendations. Um, so I will get us started this week. Um, and... The first package that I would like to talk about today is a package called Wave uh, by Janum Trivedi. Um, and it's a spring-based animation engine for iOS that makes it easy to create fluid, interruptible animations that feel great. Um, so this, I'm, I'm, I'm broadcasting this obviously on the, the, the stream now as well, but if you're listening on the podcast, um, this is a animation framework that allows you to um, for example, if you the, the example that's on the README is a box moving between two places on the screen, and the animation starts by it going from bottom right to top left, but then halfway through the animation they change the destination, and so you have this um, 
nice curve as the box that's being animated changes its destination uh, and has a really smooth um, journey to its um, uh, to its destination. Um, oh, it nice. is that's a really nice. Yeah, it is a UI kit uh, package. Um, and I didn't see any mention of SwiftUI, um, but uh, that's not a problem because there's still a lot of people uh, writing UI kit code. Um, but I thought it was a, I thought it was a nice uh, animation that looks to have a nice API, and um, I thought it was worth a mention. Yeah, it looks great. I always love it when there's a little. Um animated gif or something a video in yeah. in the readme i mean if it's if it's a package that that sort of does ui based things just to give you a feel for what you what you would be getting if you hook this up also because ui stuff can often be quite a bit harder to set up in a meaningful way you know to experiment with it um, whereas a library it's sometimes or you know often a bit easier to get started and put it in a playground or something really yes. nice so that's my, right. that's my first uh, recommendation for today. How about you, Sam? Nice one. I've picked um, a package called Text2Emoji by Wouter um, Wisse. I hope I got that right. Uh, that's, I think that's a Dutch name. Um, and that's a little package. Yeah, you've got it right up there on the screen. So that's a little package that, where you can um, have a textual description uh, and get the, the emoji out of it. So, for example, tomato. Um, as a string would be converted into uh, a little tomato um, emoji. I think before um, you carry on, I'd one... like to draw attention to the the uh, quite remarkable package description, which is, I'm not sure why you'd need this. <laughs> yes, I saw that. I actually have it in my notes, and, and my answer would be, well, so we can talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I could I could think of a a use case almost straight away. So as I transitioned over to Mastodon over the course of the week, you know, as probably a lot of others, I looked at Mastodon clients, then I looked, I poked around a bit, wrote something, loaded in the stream. And the first thing I saw, well, people are using colon, name colon, um, you know, like on GitHub to, as, a, as an emoji um, shortcut which obviously isn't rendered by default if you pipe it into a text view or something. And that could be a use case where you stick that, you know, pad it with colons and then run it through this thing or, you know, run it through this thing and, or strip out the colons and run it through the thing and see if you get a matching emoji and then replace the whole thing by that. That's, that's one thing I could think of where I might actually have use of that package. Um, uh, it does other things as well. So it's not just a, a textual replacement of a tomato with um, the emoji because there are cases where you might have uh, the same word appearing in multiple categories. So one example given in the readme is shrimp, which might be both a food and drink emoji, uh, sadly, <laughs> or uh, the animals and, and nature emoji where the thing is still intact and alive. <laughs> And, you know, there's, there's, there's le that level of control that you have. And I can see it being useful if you have, for example, a, an emoji picker where you yes. want to support categories yeah. and, you know, people can type names and then you filter on the lists and, and that sort of stuff. So I think there's use for that package, especially if you want to prototype something and have a nice looking thing quickly to, you know, proof of concept a thing. Um, and then you can still think about all the edge cases and, you know, multi-language support, although it does support Dutch and English um, terms already. So mm -hmm. it is built with that in mind. So it's an interesting package, I thought. Yeah, I mean, we don't use, we don't have a use case for exactly this, but we have a use case for quite a similar thing in, in the package index, which is we need to cope with all, all, right, of, yeah. Um, yeah. all of the GitHub abbreviation, textual abbreviations for emojis. Um, and uh, that is is a, a extremely useful um, lookup to be able to have. But I, I think you're right that the best place for this package is um, in if you're building an emoji picker into your project that is not the standard emoji picker, um, you're going to be able to help people out with some natural language uh, matching on on emojis. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, nice little package. 
Vuta, we will we we disagree with your uh, package description. I'm not sure why you'd need this because because we can both think of it. <laughs> <a reason. laughs> um, my next package um, recommendation is um, we may have even talked about it before. We've certainly uh, we've certainly talked about it a lot, um, uh, but internally at the at the package index here because we use it extensively. Um, Swift Argument Parser had a new release uh, this week, and uh, one of the release notes uh, that was there was this feature of option groups. Um, and so you can now put um, an option group in um, into your option definitions and have your options grouped like this. So effectively, if you say there are two Oh, option groups, one for options and one for extras. You can add different options to different groups. And when you uh, when you use the argument parser help that gets built uh, for free in your command line tool, it will categorize the options based on option group if you specified them. Um, and I mean, I just also want to just give argument parser um, a bit of love here because I I absolutely love this package. I think it's it's woefully undernamed as argument parser. Uh, I think this is yeah. basically an entire, this is a, a toolkit to create a, a command line tool in a few lines of code. It is a trivial amount of code to get a command line tool that behaves exactly as you'd expect the command line tool to behave. So if you do dash dash help, you're going to get some help. It supports subcommands, it supports options, it supports long and short options. There are so many things that, that you would, that are quite tricky to implement if you don't have something like this. And it just makes that whole process uh, easier. Yeah. It's a fantastic package. And not only that, it can also generate auto-completion um, hints for various shells. It's it's like yeah. amazing. I, I would slightly object that it's everything shell because I can think of things that are missing, you know, better shell out um, uh, support. It's a bit fiddly to do that with foundation. It would be nice if, I mean, that's mm -hmm. something that is probably, it's not Swift argument parser specific, but that's what I would yeah. would throw into a bundle of things that make for a very good um, command line kit thing. Um, and the other thing I think, I mean, it's it's absolutely great to get started with a, with a script or have a, a thing that you've written where you actually need a few things. It's very easy to then add, you know, the switches, which is typically what makes you pause. You know, you, you've, you've written something quick and dirty and then you need a parameter and then everything grinds to a halt because you you can't bring yourself to write something complicated. Um, you just want to keep it simple. And Swift Argument Parser is really, really great because it does take very little setup to actually add um, parameters and stuff like that. Um, but the other thing is there is a project underway um, and being talked about in the um, Swift... What's the working group? Is it the... Help me out here, Dave. The um, server working group or... It might be uh, it might be the Swift Server Working Group. There is a project underway to um, make it easier to get started with um, scripts. You know, right now the problem is you can easily run a single Swift file as a script, but it's it's more complicated to transition over to something that will import other packages. There are some community tools around that, like Swift as H. Um, but there's a project there's a project underway to make that uh, underway to make that an official thing that you can do to have a script import packages and then use packages um, without having to set up a full Swift package necessarily. So that's um, that's great and uh, that's a, that's a bright future there for for um, Swift scripting. Yeah, so I am I'm not familiar with that package of that uh, initiative in one of the work groups. Um, so I'm guessing it might be the Swift um, server work group that's doing that uh, because I, I'm not a member of that work group and I, I, I uh, whereas I am a member of a couple of the other ones. It could also be the core language team work group that might be the, the one where they're, they're doing that work. Yeah, I, I think, I'm pretty sure it was the Swift server work group. I saw it's it in one of their, um, yeah, in their, um, you know, they post their work group yeah. meeting notes and I saw it um, mentioned there. 
quick update on the number of viewers. We we briefly went to three, and I'm now back down to two. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. <laughs> okay, what's your next? Uh, what's right. your next recommendation, Sven? The next recommendation is Swift GUI, Swift GUI by Jonas Kolb, um, the author of Mint. Mint is probably the other um, tool that um, that the author is known for. Um, and Swift GUI is a nice GUI to create views for Swift data types like uh, structs, classes, mm-hmm. enums with associated types. Um, and I think probably the most obvious use case is here that you are building an app and you need a, a debug view or something to inspect data of a complex object. Um, you know, you have like nested arrays and dictionaries and you really want to see what's going on and you can't log it because it has hundreds of entries or, you know, just even dozens is, is enough to, to completely ruin your console. But this would allow you to, without any plugging in, you know, it just t- takes the structure and, and brings it into a view. Um, a bit like, um, you know, in Xcode, when you have a plist, it'll, it'll sort of offer um, UI to mm-hmm. look at yep. a plist in a in a um, graphical way, you know the um, di- and the, the arrays and yeah, they, they, and, yeah, yeah. Um, this is this looks to be richer. It has toggles for booleans, and um, I, I can't see it on your screen, on the broadcast screen right now. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it has other data types as well. I think I see a date there that is rendered nicely. So this is a quite nice um, default um, presentation of, of data you might yes. have in your app um, that you can inspect even, and present. It even has support, by the look of it, for URLs. And if that URL points to an image, it will download a, a preview of the image as well. Oh, there you go. That's great. Yeah, it looks like a really, really nice package for... I mean, even even if you're building a, a client for a JSON endpoint, you might throw that in as a default view initially to see what's going on. And that's probably, you know, with a bit of tweaking or no tweaking, you might have something usable for certain tools, you know, that might not be user facing, but, you know, development tools. I think that's a, that's a great package that, that'll get you a lot of the way for something, um, you know, a little data viewer. That's great. Okay. There you go. My final um, uh, recommendation uh, for today is um, Diligence by, um, looks like it's by a company called In7 Limited. Um, so I'm not sure who, but this is where we could use our author support, right? Because I'd like to, I always <laughs> like to shout out the actual person whose, uh, whose name, uh, it is that was primarily responsible. Um, but, um, in a, in kind of a, a, a similar way to what you were just talking about, this is, um, uh, a way to build some UI, um, based on, um, some data that you've, you've not necessarily, um, designed the entire screen for. So Diligence is a um, a SwiftUI about screen for both iOS and macOS. Um, and it basically builds you a view controller um, that you can uh, present onto the screen with, um, actually I shouldn't call them view controllers with SwiftUI, should I? Uh, but it's it's a screen of data. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I, lose, uh, I lose today's... <laughs> um, Bad word, uh, the competition. Um, so it will create you a screen that grabs various different bits of information from your uh, project. So, for example, obviously version number, um, uh, things like build, and then you can basically um, uh, add people like acknowledgement, so you can credit various people. Uh, you can you can acknowledge people for different. Um, the different tasks that they did. So you can, for example, have an acknowledgement group for graphics and an acknowledgement group for thanks, uh, an acknowledgement group for contributors. Um, you can add URLs if you want to link to people's websites. Um, you can um, include the licenses that you've, um, uh, in, for the open source projects that you've included in your application. Um, and you do it using a result builder type syntax. 
of just building up hierarchical data that will go into your uh, about screen. And it works on both iOS and macOS and generates, uh, I think especially on macOS, quite a, a, a pleasant uh, about box that um, is going to just take care of a lot of the default stuff that you would need to put in there. Yeah, that looks really nice. It was actually on my list as well. Um, and also for the macOS screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like that, the layout. Of it. It's it's really nice. Yeah. Um, by the way, quick update. I brought up the package on staging and the author is, the main author is uh, Jason Berry Morley. Ah, there we go. So that um, feature by Javier is already pro proving uh, useful. Yes. It also lists as, as the second author one just the number one <laughs> and that is why we and work. other contributors so i think we have a bit of <laughs> a tiny bit of work ahead of us <laughs> that's why we need the override <laughs> yeah cool very nice very nice um just checking did i have any you did have one more it was a double it was a doubler yeah, I was just checking if I had anything in my notes because I had diligence also. As ah, a, right, okay. I, I wondered, but um, you covered it all. Um, my my third pick is a is a pair, um, which really is is pretty much a pair, and it's also in in, in what they do in, in in naming. They're called quick and nimble. Um, these are uh, popular testing frameworks. Um, quick is a BDD style framework, um, behavior driven development, which I've personally never used. It's it's sort of you describe, and it actually uses the term describe to set up your fixture, and it says describe your your test scenario, and then it does in assertions within it. Um, I I can't describe it well because I never really understood the concept properly. Um, and the other one, Nimble, is um, a package that gives you much nicer reading and more modern and yeah just all around nicer assertions you know instead of the xct assert equal you you literally say assert i oh, know you i think there's also equal just equal it's functions effectively um functions that you call equals um uh, it's probably worthwhile looking at the syntax on in the um Thing itself to give a description let me just bring one up to describe better what you can do um, yes you would say for instance expect and then um, parentheses your value dot the thing to and then dot two and then equal so it's yeah, it's hard to describe but when you actually see it it makes a lot of sense it's like a, a written it, sentence it of your creates very quality expression expectations yeah. yeah so if you if you read yeah. one of these examples out it will say literally expect x to not equal y um like that's a very yeah. readable line of code <laughs> yeah and um it it also so you can use that um dot syntax with function calls it also has operator overloads where you can you know just expect um uh you can just use uh, equals or not equals um and actually I, I just recalled i made a contribution like years and years and years ago to that to add you know like when you compare um floating point um i added the I'm not sure how to describe it. You know, the equal sign, the, the squirrely equal sign that you use in, in scientific notation when you say something mm -hmm. is almost equal or uh, within an error margin. Uh, so you can use that to compare floats with a certain, you know, uh, allowance for um, certain accuracy. Um, and you can even give a delta. So you can do value equals and then plus minus a, a certain range. Um, and you can use the little plus minus ligature to express that so you can actually write quite scientific looking um, um uh, checks there well that was a bit of a tangent i actually wanted to bring up um the package because they had both packages had big releases um quick 600 and nimble 1100 and the big change there addition was uh, async await support which i guess was really making it hard to use them when you had async tests because effectively um, all the assertions were unusable if your mm -hmm. values were um, await 
values. I mean, you could probably still use them if you assign them to values before the assertion, but then you really, um, you're really adding a lot of boilerplate. So that's for for users of those really great packages. Those are those are really nice additions um, and make them make them really really good um, citizens in the async await world. Yeah, that's great. And I had spotted these, and they were on my shortlist too. Um, they, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of this. So it, back in my Ruby days, um, both of these packages are, are based on um, or very similar to a project called uh, RSpec. Um, and it's a really nice way of hierarchically defining tests. So you can kind of say, this group of code here, and they use this describe um, uh, this describe construct to um, to to group uh, sections of code and sections of tests. Um, so you can say describe in the example that we've got on uh, on the readme here. Describe a dolphin, um, and then inside that describe a dolphin, you've got describe click, and then you've got some tests. Um, that gives some context. So it says context. When it is not near anything interesting, it emits only one click. And you should go and have a look at the readme because it, it makes more sense when you can see the code. But it's a really nice way of grouping tests together and keeping the test to be very focused to testing just one thing. And you can have lots of um, uh, tests inside a context or inside a described block. Um, you can have before each and after each sections within each context or describe block creates a very flexible way of testing. The biggest right. issue with it is actually an Xcode issue. Um, and so when you do use RSpec in Ruby, it works beautifully because Ruby understands RSpec and it doesn't have a very uh, strictly defined set of what a test is. And so they can kind of hook into that whole mechanism and, and it can it can act very naturally. The problem is with Xcode testing is that you do have to ultimately have a test function. And so what you yeah. end up with is all your yeah. descriptions and your context and all the rest of it in one test. And it does work and it's good, but it is it is definitely something you should be aware of going into it. Um, and, and I wish there was slightly more flexible um test definitions within Xcode that this could hook into. Because right, so if there were... You can, only, you can only run the whole test and not a subsection. Um, no, I'm speaking you know, without a huge amount of knowledge and there may be... Like, I, I, th th that feature actually put me off from, from using it. And so there may be ways around this. Maybe we should um, uh, have someone who, who is a passionate user or maybe one of the maintain maintainers on it to talk about um, some of the issues because I'd be interested in learning more. If it if it hooked into t uh, Xcode's test uh, explorer better, I would be advocating that we use this um, in, uh, in yeah. Package Index because I love the mechanism of testing that it um, uh, enables. Right, yeah. Following your description, it actually sort of clicked for me because what we're doing right now, we have um, you know snake-cased um, mm -hmm. sectioning of our tests you know we name our tests obviously test at the start and then underscore then then because they're in a test file scoped on a certain module already you know that that isn't repeated there but then within the module we might test topic a and then there's underscore a and then you know we test aspects of a and then we have an underscore and then we have those aspects that we're testing and i if i follow along the A in the in the snake case of our test name would would be a described section in yes. in this scheme, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. So, for example, one thing you might do is you might, if you have a um, uh, uh, an object and it has a method on the object, you might put the um, method name as a describe block. So you're just you're describing yeah. this method, and then have contexts um, to uh, to, to set up preconditions um, and then test, so actually test. So you could say, you know, my object A for method B in the context of C should act like this. And it creates very readable um, tests uh, that, that, that have 
a lot of metadata around context and the setup that needs needs to, to that is assumed within that test. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Cool. Yes, there we so go. There you go. So, quick, quick and nimble async awaits. And that, I think, is the um, end of our package recommendations and the end of this uh, episode 14 and the first of the podcast uh, episodes that we also streamed to YouTube. Now, I do have some to wrap up the, uh, the ongoing saga. We, we reached a maximum concurrent view account of five, which I think is actually quite respectable. Um, and we had 12 people um, tune in live uh, overall, which um, is not quite as many as we had on Twitter, but uh, let's give it some time to to bring those numbers back. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you did just tune in, before we oh, no, before we, I just saw there was a question. Pixel Science oh, asked, "Can this work with UI tests?" Um, um, that's a great question. I, that I don't is, know the answer to. <laughs> I, I I wonder why why wouldn't it right because they are yeah. They are just tests that you instrument um, in in a slightly different way, but the the harness around it is is XCT test, and yeah. I would expect um, um, quick and nimble to be able to drive that the same way you um, you know the test content inside the described blocks would be then you know whatever you cut out of a, um, a UI test, but I, I would I would say it it should work. I, I we do agree, a follow but, also, but I can't doesn't. guarantee it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thank you to those people who did tune in live, um, and um, please send us feedback. Uh, the, probably the easiest way to um, send us feedback is either via Twitter or via Mastodon. So we are Swift Packages on uh, Twitter, and we are Swift Package Index on Mastodon, and uh, we we do check those mentions. So if you have any feedback about any of this, the live streaming, the podcast, whatever it is, or indeed just the package index itself, that's probably the best place to uh, to, to contact us. We also do have a Discord, uh, and if you go to the Swift Package Index um, GitHub page um, and search for the word Discord, you'll find a link to our Discord server. So that's another place that you can get in contact with us if you have any. We tend to, the Discord tends to be more around contributing and, you know, discussing features and enhancements to the package index but we're happy to hear from uh, anyone if you are listening to the show we'd be happy to hear from you um yeah. so let's uh, leave it there for today and we will be back in two weeks time uh next uh, in two weeks time on the next thursday and please like and subscribe <laughs> and, uh, what terrible what terrible youtubers we are of course you should of course smash the like button um and dave it's well. it's a yes. two for one we are now both podcasters and youtubers with with one fell right. swoop. <laughs> do i have to buy a very expensive microphone my mum will be so proud <laughs> <laughs> all right i will uh, speak to you right. soon and i'll see you all in speak two to you weeks. soon bye-bye cheers bye-bye